You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. Double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And Florida escapes Lexington with a 29-21 victory over Kentucky. Joining me this game reaction episode as he does every Sunday is Will Salmon from The Athletic. Will, we have plenty to discuss with the victory and the injury uh, to Felipe Franks, but the Gators found a way again. Yeah, David, I feel like this is going to be a pretty good show for us. You know, a lot to discuss, like you said. I mean, it doesn't get really any bigger than the quarterback getting injured and out for the season with a, what, dislocated ankle, according to Dan Mullen. So, yeah, I mean, it was not exactly what we had in mind when I at least showed up to Lexington and, and decided to cover this game. But, man, was it eventful. I mean, it was all that you could have asked for in a college football game. Yeah, you know, not only – has Florida and you know not not only has Florida seasons changed change here but you know this is the third quarterback in the SEC East with Jake Bentley going down for uh South Carolina and Terry Wilson of course going down for Kentucky last week so you know the 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 shape of the SEC is changing in the first three weeks of the season not sure you know of course if any of these three teams would have overtaken Georgia but now you have to at least think uh the chances do go down just a bit, uh, you know, on the surface anyway. We'll see what Kyle Trask ends up doing. We'll get into that. But, you know, on the surface, as everybody's looking at it, as the nation's looking at it, you know, the SEC East has been changed you know, behind Georgia, has just been reshaped, uh, you know, the uh, all, all you know, three teams behind Georgia that maybe have uh, are seen as the biggest three contenders to Georgia. So you so you didn't exactly have Sawyer versus Trask in the <laughs> Kentucky-Florida matchup this week, last weekend, huh? No, no. No, man, it, it is like you said, though, and it is a little bit like that with Florida. Man, it's like, do you do you consider them that far off from where they were with Franks? Because I, right. I frankly don't actually. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, Florida is still pretty much what you sort of thought that they were. And I look at the Miami game and the Kentucky game as potential swing, swing, uh, swing games, excuse me, that you kind of needed a good effort from your quarterback in order to win these games. Uh, at least that's what I thought of when I entered the season with, with covering Florida. And so now that they're in your sort of back pocket, these games are finished, they're complete. And lo and behold, there were two victories for you. I look at the schedule and I say to myself, okay, was Felipe Franks going to necessarily win you X amount of games? I'm not sure. Was he going to lose you X amount of games? 
probably not. Um, so it was kind of like at this point, those the Georgia game, the LSU game, and the Auburn game were going to be tough no matter who was playing quarterback for you because your issues, if you're if you're Florida, still remain the same. You still have problems on the offensive line a little bit, and you still have some injury concerns and some depth issues as a result uh, defensively. So as much as obviously the offense will will change a little bit uh, with. Kyle Trask or Emory Jones or the combination of the two without Felipe Franks. I'm not necessarily sold on the idea that the outlook all of a sudden drastically changes one way or the other. I agree with you there. And we'll get into that a little bit too. Uh, if, if your outlook's changing, I don't really think it's because of the quarterback position. So I, I think, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll get into that a little bit as we look, uh, look back at the, look back at the game in Kentucky and maybe see how some of that stuff, uh, is going to move forward as well. Before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Catch Gators Breakdown on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or YouTube like so many of you are doing live right now. Thank you so much for checking us out live. And using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown every week a news for jacks exclusive talking with troop you can catch me and former gators tight end ben troop every week exclusively at news4jacks.com this season as ben you know brings it only like he can and i'm sure later on this week we'll get his thoughts on felipe franks and and, and kyle and kyle trash moving forward so look forward to uh ben's opinions there also get your gators breakdown gear at squadlocker.com head over click in the top right of the screen click on find your store top gators breakdown and all the gear is available right there so will there's no no sense in burying the lead here of course uh we have felipe franks injured in the third quarter and his season is done uh mullen mentioned post game that you know he had a plan for both kyle trask and emory jones to get some snaps after franks went down but kyle trask came in uh, took command of the offense uh, from the get-go. He passed on the very first play he was in, and, and that showed confidence, I think, the staff has in him and his demeanor as well. Uh, you, the Florida offense takes the, takes the field in their own 38-yard line after the defense stops Kentucky on a fourth and one, the drive after Franks gets injured. So, look, I, I know the run game was struggling all night, but I, I think it still takes some confidence in letting Kyle Trask go out there and, and pitch it from – from from snap one, uh, I like the confidence in the staff to, to you know to come out throwing with Trask on the first play. He goes on to complete his first four passes of that drive uh, and ends with an option pitch to P Ryan to lead to you know a touchdown to cut to cut the Kentucky lead twenty one to sixteen. Trask threw for fifty four yards on those four throws while looking decisive, composed, and confident in what he was doing. I think the entire team fed off of that, fed off the the injury to Felipe Franks, and it helped the Gators outscore Kentucky nineteen to nothing in the first in in the fourth quarter. Kyle Trask started with six of seven, uh, started six of seven with completions of eight yards, fourteen yards, twenty yards, twelve, thirteen, and eight yards. I mean, I, I was. Yeah, even though the run game was struggling, Will, I was still surprised that the you know, the play calling didn't get conservative. They didn't go into a shell. They just really let uh, Kyle Trask go out there and wing it. Well, they couldn't afford to. They're, they they really had to go out throwing at that point. I mean, you're down. It's the fourth quarter. Backs, backs against the wall in that situation. You, you have to do it, and everybody knows it. You mentioned the idea that Mullen kind of went into that situation after Frank's 
unfortunately suffers the injury with the idea that, okay, I'll probably end up playing both of these guys or both of them have to be ready. I found it interesting that Emory Jones was actually the quarterback whom Mullen had a package ready for before the injury ever happens, like coming out of the set, coming out of the halftime. He said, he told reporters that, look, I, I had Emory Jones ready to go. I told him be ready because we're going to run a package for you. The package never comes because Kyle Trask was doing so well and he was cooking and there was no reason to change because things were working for you all of a sudden. And so I think that's a testament to, to Kyle Trask too. And I think it speaks a little bit of volume because they decided to go with Kyle Trask in large part because it made sense for this particular game in this particular instance. He had the experience of being in a sort of a little bit of a situation before playing in that game where Felipe Franks was benched um, in that Missouri game. So he had a little bit of experience, not much, obviously, but a little bit here. And he had the type of uh, uh, quarterback game to him where he's going to drop back and pass. And he kind of gave you what you needed if you were Florida. And I think you're right, David, where we saw a lot of poise from him. And what I like to see and what I was sort of trying to pay attention to was just his demeanor uh, as far as his ability to lead. And I saw him going as far as uh, having his face and his neck into the defensive huddles and the special teams huddles, rallying the guys, trying to motivate them. And you say to yourself, wait a second, this was Kyle Trask. This was the guy who barely spoke uh, at a decibel uh, loud enough that we could hear them during, <laughs> during interviews. Like, who is this guy? And hey, I mean, you give the guy the opportunity and all of a sudden he comes to life a little bit. And we saw a different sort of side of Kyle Trask that frankly, I was really happy to see as just a spectator because he looked like a guy who was waiting for his opportunity, even though he always said the right things and he probably will always continue to just based on his character in public. But it was clear that he was ready for this and 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 he wanted to make the most of it and he was prepared to make the most of it. And that's another thing that should be applauded with Kyle Trask is his ability to stay ready for a guy that if Felipe Franks doesn't get hurt, he's not playing, <laughs> David. Like he's not he's not playing in this game. And frankly, he's probably not playing for a very long time until maybe garbage time or something along those lines. So for his for him to stay ready, to stay focused, to be attentive during meetings, it was clear that he was doing all that because you don't play that well in one quarter and lead your team to that sort of victory if that's not the case. Absolutely, Will. Uh, as Gator fans, we we heard we've heard the term "gamer" a lot from quarterbacks uh, going back to Danny Werfel and, and Tim Tebow. Maybe not the best practice players, but. Maybe they're gamers, and maybe that's what we're going to see here from from Kyle Trask, and maybe maybe in his demeanor as well. As you said, this is a guy we we haven't really get, got to see a whole lot of, but you know he he has been quiet, uh, not not necessarily given a whole bunch of opportunities to be that demonstrative uh, character out there. But now he gets the chance, and uh, the team rallied behind that, and, and, and yeah, like you said, good for him to to kind of I, I don't know if it's necessarily all lay, but com coming out of a shell, but. The, the opportunity was there, and, and he took advantage of it on the field, on the sideline, and, and, and leaned the team uh, to, to that 19 to nothing comeback uh, fourth quarter victory there, uh, where they shut out Kentucky there. So, yeah, many out there know uh, I've been a defender of uh, Felipe Franks more than most out there. Uh, I think he was the starter for a reason, uh, and, and that's not that's not to say 
Kyle Trask isn't good or, or can't be good. Uh, but I believe Franks was the best option. But you know, but something happened after after Kyle Trask come in. Well, you know, I, I thought the play calling. Maybe even uh, and not in a negative way, a little more simplified. Maybe uh, we saw the offensive line not have to hold uh, the blocks as long, and, and we saw these play action calls, uh, whether it be a fake handoff or, or the rocker step, and, and kind of you know look at your first you know first option here. And you know, Mullen's system is a uh, is a lot of identifying where you're going with the ball before the snap, and with the way Kentucky was playing in that soft zone, you know, partly because I don't think they knew what to expect from Kyle Trask. You know, Trask was able to pick apart a depleted secondary uh, with especially Kentucky not bringing pressure. That was probably the biggest surprise, uh, I thought, especially after the first drive. I can understand maybe not the first drive uh, where you're kind of learning what Kyle Trask can do. But after that, I'm still surprised they didn't bring the pressure as much as I, uh, I thought they would. So, you know, Trask, he exceeded my expectations, and I thought it was a, a really good start. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that's kind of summing it up perfectly, because when when he enters the game, like, what are your expectations at that point? Are you count, Are you kind of counting up to seven wins here? <laughs> like, is, it, <laughs> is it over? I mean, like what you tell me, because uh, I, I was like, I didn't really know what to expect at that point. They're down 11 points, fourth quarter, backup quarterback coming in uh, against a pretty good team. I think Kentucky's really good. Uh, I, I They are I, a bad matchup for Florida. They are right. I thought yeah. the same thing. I thought this was a really uh, a tough a tough matchup for Florida because Kentucky does the things right that Florida has trouble against, and so it's a it's a it's a rough matchup for for Florida. And we saw that for largely for three quarters. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that they're I think they're a top twenty five team. I think they're mm-hmm. really talented. Uh, but Kyle Trask, man, uh, you you kind of hit on it with uh, Kentucky playing a little bit of a softer coverage. And I think you're right, too. And I also think that they didn't want to make any sort of uh, big mistakes as well because they were playing with the lead and you could afford to play that way because, I mean, who, who's thinking that the kid's going to come in there and throw, what, four for five on his first five throws for 55 yards or whatever it was and, and lead the team down with that much ease? I didn't quite expect that. And he did operate with that conviction and confidence. And what I liked from him was, as you sort of mentioned, he had an idea of what he wanted to do before the snap but then he also went through his reads when he had to he didn't get he didn't get uh restless or 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 flustered there he stayed composed and he made the throw and there wasn't a whole lot of wasted motion either actually there wasn't any at all especially on those play actions to van that that ended up in some completions to van jefferson it was really smooth got the ball out quick found his guy and not in the way that he was locking in on guys, but he just knew where to go with the ball and he delivered it perfectly on time. And like I said, there was just no wasted movement, um, no wasted time either. And so that was a welcome sight, of course, for for Kyle Trask in this offense. So you liked a lot of what he did in that first drive. And from there, he, he continued to make some pretty good decisions. It, it wasn't always going to lead to completions, but didn't turn the ball over. Uh, made the right reads, I thought, and made smart decisions with the football. Now, I think probably the best example of that is that throw to Kyle Pitts, uh, where he, you know, he there is a little bit of pressure, but he he shuffles his feet the right way, sets his feet, and hits Kyle Kyle Pitts. And we've said it time and time again: as Florida, as deep as Florida is at this receiver position and the tight end position get the ball in their hands and see if something can happen after the fact. And that's what he did. He got the ball to Kyle Pitts and Kyle Pitts goes off for 30 yards and at least to another Florida touchdown. Yeah. I think what, at least 15 or 20 of those were yards after the catch because yeah. 
he had a he I know he shed one tackle and then there were four guys like surrounding him and he still gets he breaks loose somehow um, and had one guy dragging him and he was still able to kind of carry that kid to another 10 yards or so. So he, he was impressive um, as a receiver Saturday night. And I think that's a big reason why I say that Florida may not be like in this really bad predicament now that Felipe Franks is out for the season because they have the playmakers and they have the coaching staff too. A lot of times when we see backup quarterbacks enter the game, the staff, I don't want to say is unprepared with, with some programs, but it's just, you could tell that the, the level there, there's a drop off and it's considerable. I kind of believe Dan Mullen when he says that these guys were prepared, all three of them to step up as needed and that's the way they practice. We saw in the in the limited viewings that they do distribute the, the reps fairly evenly. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a stretch to say that, you know, everybody got reps with the ones. I didn't quite see that in the limited openings that the media was allowed to view. But we did see plenty of snaps for both Kyle Trask and Emory Jones with a combination of wide receivers all rotating throughout. And that's how you build comfort and the guys were ready to, to receive those passes from him. It wasn't as if it was somebody foreign coming into the game that they didn't practice with. And like we said earlier, Kyle Trask was prepared for this and the receivers had that, that sort of comfort with him. And there wasn't a considerable drop off whatsoever when, when we look at the offense and how uh, comfortable guys were receiving passes, running routes with Kyle Trask, behind, you know, under center as, as the Florida quarterback. Well, I've got to uh, I've got to let the Gator fan in me come out a little bit just just for just for a bit here. Uh, yeah, I, I really hate this for Felipe Franks. Uh, injuries are, are are a part of the game, uh, but this one you know it got to me as a fan a little bit. Uh, this is a kid that uh, absolutely gives it his all, uh, holds nothing back out there on the field. Uh, sometimes, you know, it, it leads to uh, trying to make some some plays that aren't there on the field. And, you know, but he's everything you could ask for for, for a University of Florida football player. Uh, I, I'm bummed that, it's, that this happened to him. I was looking forward to you know, seeing him play with this team and, and growing as the season goes on. And all these post-game videos that are coming out with him singing the fight song in the locker room with the team and, and bringing, bringing the huddle in and breaking the huddle with, with the term family, you know, only solidifies uh, the person that, you know, we have defended uh, the, the last few weeks here. Yeah, I mean, I've always said that, look, look, I'm not here to debate his merits as a quarterback. Um, I think it's fairly obvious that what, what his strengths and weaknesses are from a weekly basis, and we don't have to – we didn't really have to – to you know, beat a dead horse there all the time. Uh, but I always say that he was the type of guy that I wanted to play for or play with because you know that he was going to give effort. You know that he was going to be probably there for you as a teammate. And he cared. That was undeniable about Felipe Franks. And it still is, uh, as evidence as like you alluded to those scenes after the game. The guy cares. And that's where, that's where you start, especially in college ball, because – Without that, you, everything else is kind of secondary anyway. So that's the one thing that you can never take away from Felipe Franks is how much he cared. And so it, it's tough to see, absolutely. And that's why we saw the scene unfold where all those wide receivers were there uh, giving him hugs or, or wishing him as best as, as well wishes as possible in an unfortunate situation because this this was his team. We could debate how important he is going forward or how important the loss is or what the outlook is and if it changes for Florida at all, but this was his team. 
And I don't know if you could really place a value on that. And we'll see how it unfolds without him. Uh, but it, it's definitely something that would be interesting to see because, like I said, you, you just can't place a value on it. You don't know exactly how things are gonna, going to sort of trickle down. We saw Kyle Trask step in and fulfill, fulfill everything that everybody wished for if you're a Gators fan and, and did so really, really well and admirably. But we don't know what that's going to be like going forward when he starts a game or if he starts a game. So we'll see. We'll see. We, we kind of knew what we were getting with Felipe Franks on a week to week basis for better or worse. But we knew one thing, and that's what and that's he was going to give it his all pretty much every down. Absolutely. So, you know, of course, we will look, look at what he did. Uh, on the field as well. And uh, I don't like the narrative that he was playing a bad game before he got injured. Uh, he had the one terrible play uh, on, on the first interception where he, he, he heaved the ball into the end zone and nothing was really there. Uh, but besides that, I actually thought he played very, very well and was done done in by the offensive line, not blocking and, and him getting hit as he, uh, he's about to throw uh, the one ball and, and he gets called for a fumble or, or holding call on a long run he had for a touchdown. Overall, you know, 12 of 17, 174 yards, one touchdown, one interception uh, before the injury. Uh, and, um, so, and then uh, was 10 of 12 at halftime for 153 yards with the one touchdown, one interception coming in the first half. You know, I, I just don't think he had a lot of help, uh, especially from the run game and the offensive line. We'll get into that a little bit too. But uh, Frank's in that 10 of 12 start had completions of 18 yards. 15, 6, 15, 31, 9, 32, 9, 12, 6. That was a 15.3-yard average there and pretty good there. So, you know, in combo with Trask, the Gators had their first 300-yard passing performance versus an SEC team since 2016 versus Kentucky. Yeah, and, well, this, that's kind of like what I was mentioning earlier about just the issues are going to be kind of the same regardless of who the quarterback is because whether it was Felipe Frank standing there or whether it's going to be Kyle Trask or Emory Jones this, this upcoming weekend against Tennessee, that offensive line is largely going to remain the same. And so the, the protection was inconsistent at times, and the run game was non-existent at times. <laughs> and those are two issues that are going to be inherited by whoever replaces Kyle yeah. – uh, Whoever replaces Felipe Franks. Absolutely. So uh, we'll get into that lack of run game here. Average 5.1, 5.1 yards per carry with 138 total for the game. But, you know, we know most of that was on Hammond's 76-yard uh, sweep carry there. So you know, still can't get much going with the run game involving the running backs. Uh, it's on the offensive line and some of it on the, the Michael P. Ryan. He's the running back getting the most carries right now. Well, I don't know what it is. He he just doesn't look the same. Not as not as elusive. Uh, not you can't make he can't make defenders miss. Uh, really looks indecisive at times. Uh, he just just doesn't get upfield when there's a chance. And you know, uh, just not. Don't get me wrong. There's not many creases out there, but he's not seeing them when they are there. Uh, that was one part about his game before the season was his vision and and. and the, the positivity of his vision actually and, and being able to see, see see plays that aren't there sometimes but yeah i just haven't seen it this year uh and, and with the offensive line uh there still seems to be hardly any push uh i can't get to their spots fast enough on pulls uh there was a there was a shake up at one point in the game when stone forsyth went to right tackle in place of uh uh delance and, and richard garage playing left tackle uh need to go back and we'll, i'll rewatch you know just to see how much of a difference that made uh, but toward the end of the game, it was the normal starting five late and on Hammond's run as well. 
I didn't think it made like that much of a difference. I think if, yeah. if anything, maybe a little fire under Gene Delance because I thought he played fairly well in the fourth quarter when he came, when he re-entered the game. I thought he I thought he played fairly well, and I thought it was smart that I think on the first couple of throws for for Kyle Trask, they had a little bit more protection there. They had Pitts waiting and blocking. They also had Pirine as a blocker as well to kind of give that sort of extra protection for Kyle Trask. And I thought that was a little bit important for him on a couple of those early throws. As far as Pirine, man, I'd, I'd really have to look at his runs, but I think you also have to sort of know what the play is supposed to be too. Yeah. And that's tricky because we don't know what the play is really supposed to be sometimes. And we don't know exactly what the intent is on a couple of those runs or, or whose assignments were which. Yeah. And also key when sort of trying to uh, find the culprit with a problem or place blame because it gets really tricky when yeah. you sort of try to figure out on your own uh, who's supposed to be doing what. Sometimes it's obvious, don't get me wrong, uh, but sometimes it's really not. And there's enough blame, I think, to go around on a lot of these plays because we see sometimes the tight end doesn't block anybody. We see, like you mentioned, sometimes the pools are a little bit slow uh, to get there. And sometimes just flat out, uh, there's either a missed assignment or somebody gets beat. And so it's hard to kind of, for me at least, to pin that on, not, not pin that, but just look back and say, okay, well, Pirine also didn't make a move on those couple of runs where he may have had a lane because I think it's asking a lot of LaMichael Pirine um, but we'll see. I mean, he's a guy who we haven't really got the opportunity to speak with after since the season has started. So again, it's hard for me to kind of say without talking to him exactly what has happened in a couple of those runs. Yeah, I would have to believe if it was more on him and fully on him, we would have seen more carries for the other running backs. Well, it would have been a change, right? I, I think so, at least. Yeah, I mean, it just does. I do tend to believe this staff is – you know, willing enough. If if it is Lamichael Piran, the one struggling reading blocks or, or or not being where he's supposed to be, then we'd see more Pierce. We'd see more Malik Davis. Malik Davis didn't have a carry versus Kentucky, which was kind of surprising. And look, this was another game. Farter only Farter ran. I forget the I forget the number, but it was less than sixty plays. Uh, so you know, this was another game where you know because of turnovers and because of we're fixing to get into it. Third down conversions on the defense. This was another game where Farter just didn't have a lot of plays out there. No, the defense stayed on the field though, a lot longer than they probably wanted to, especially early on. That was a, that was an issue. A big play that comes to mind for me on defensively was one that Dan Mullen actually called out sort of uh, in the postgame was I believe it was third and 21 or third and 22. Yep. Early on first quarter, I believe it was Kentucky's second drive, which pretty much lasted forever. Um, uh, the Gators brought just their three down linemen, no other pressure. And I believe just Kentucky found the soft spot in that coverage and just was able to reel in a 23-yard pass sort of inexplicably um, because that wasn't the only one either. There was, uh, I think, at least two more third-down conversions in that drive. One actually stands out to me as well was, and this is a credit to Kentucky, and I, I wanted to mention this because it's not just what Florida does wrong. I know that a lot of times you and I are very Florida centric because obviously that's who the listeners are and that's who the listeners care about, but you got to credit Kentucky. There's one play in particular that comes to mind. I believe it was a third and eight where the quarterback sees a blitzing safety and then notices right away. Okay. There's a matchup right there between David Reese and a wide receiver and David Reese is showing blitz himself, gets off, drops into coverage and is a little bit late getting there. 
and before he knows it, it's a it's a catch, and they're able to pick up a first down. I think Kentucky deserves a lot of credit for their play calling. They're a well-coached team. Offensive line coach does a great job with that group. So I, I like Kentucky a lot. I've said that before, but I'm high on them, and I have a lot of respect for just the way that that program has been built and their ability to call a really good game. I thought that showed up, especially in the first half and especially on critical downs like those third, those third and longs. Yeah, Eddie Grant uh, really has a good plan when he goes against Todd Grant in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, we'll get into more on the defense, but first, uh, I know some of you out there like to bet on football, and, and my bookie is the place to bet on football every week. So, whether you want to make a national title bet or wager on this weekend's games, my bookie has you covered. You guys know out there, I'd only recommend a service that my listeners to my listeners that are proven, and that's why my bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. They have some fun. You can have some fun uh, with betting this season with my bookie. My bookie lets you bet on which college coaches will get fired, uh, which or what teams will make the college football playoff, or what player or which player will win the Heisman Trophy. You can even bet on uh, halftime lines, live odds. Uh, you know, if by the second half it looks like your team is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. So, also, my bookie allows you to bet on FBS versus FCS games. And right now, double your first deposit up to $1,000 at MyBookie. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.ag. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. So we'll continue the uh, defensive conversation here, Will. I mean, they only gave up 21 points, and in today's college football, you're going to win a lot of games if you only give up 21 points. Uh, but definitely wasn't a great performance by, by by the measure here. You know, some Florida fans and many rival fans out there couldn't wait to use the uh, third and grant the mantra uh, that he's been known for, and you know what we just discussed a little bit there. Uh, you know, third down defense really hasn't been much of an issue for Grantham's defenses in recent years, uh, especially since he left Georgia. Uh, he kind of shed that. Third, third and grant the mantra for a little while there so uh you know but it's uh it, it certainly wasn't that way versus kentucky uh it, it wasn't just that kentucky was converting third downs it was the distance at which they converted them uh, and a lot of them early on like you mentioned uh you know to give sawyer smith and that in that kentucky um offense some, some confidence uh wildcats were eight of 15 on the night on third down while converting distances of 21 8 and 9 uh, that was for a touchdown uh, on the second drive of the game that you uh, went back to. Grantham was able to get favorable conditions on third down uh, on that second drive, but you know didn't elect to play tight coverage, and Kentucky's wide receivers were, were a matchup problem. Uh, and going back to the preview I had last week, you know, I wondered how Florida would guard big wide receiver Ahmad Wagner, 6'5", 234-pound wide receiver that was a problem and was able to draw two pass interference calls in the game. Uh, that gets him to seven <laughs> on the season. So I knew that was going to be an issue uh, coming into this game. And you know, Marco Wilson couldn't beat him, even though he was in position uh, on the first touchdown reception for Kentucky. Uh, just, he, Wagner just goes up and beats Marco Wilson there. So you know, the Wildcats ended uh, the first half five of seven on third down. Uh, and after converting their first three of the second half, you know, we mentioned this Florida offense just couldn't, Florida offense couldn't get on the field. 
the, the Gators defense really stepped up and shut down the Wildcats, uh, at, at, you know, after early third quarter, you know, while not getting sacks, the, the defense pressured Smith more. Secondary made some tackles, and Florida's third down fortunes changed to the tune of stopping Kentucky's last five third down attempts. And I think we really have to go to the fourth quarter here, and in a heck of a fourth quarter it was for Florida. Uh, the summary here I tweeted out yes, uh, late last night. If you if you missed it, in the fourth quarter, Florida outscored Kentucky nineteen to nothing. Total yards: Florida had two hundred and twenty-two. Kentucky only had eighty-one. Uh, rushing yards, Florida 96, Kentucky 34. Passing yards, 126 for Florida. Uh, most of that, are, of course, actually, of course, all that's Kyle Trask. 47 passing yards for Kentucky there. Third down, one of two for Florida in the in the fourth quarter. Kentucky one of six. Third down in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, yards per play, Florida had 10.6 yards per play, 3.7 for Kentucky. And probably the biggest difference, no turnovers for Florida in a close game in the fourth quarter. Kentucky had two. So, Will, the first three quarters didn't look so great for Florida, but in the end, Todd Grantham makes some adjustments. Third down defense improved. They caused some turnovers. And that fourth quarter is pretty much what led Florida to a victory. And they did it without three of their top 11 players defensively. Yeah. Which is, which is a big deal. And I feel like that got really overlooked um, in hindsight because it's like, okay, why, why are they not getting enough pressure? Well, okay, their best pass rusher is on the bench. I mean, he's, he's, he's banged up. He got hurt. So the pressure is not going to probably be there as it was against uh, Miami or UT Martin. I know I realize those are bad comparisons to an offensive line as skilled as Kentucky. But when you are against a, a group like that, you need your best guys. And Florida was without one of their, uh, if not their best, uh, pass rusher in, in uh, Jabari Zuniga. And not only that, but of course they were without CJ Henderson, uh, who, okay, if you don't have the pass rush and you're giving this guy Sawyer two, three, four seconds to throw the ball, there's going to be a breakdown somewhere and he's probably going to find it. And a couple of times that's what happened on most plays. And so you combine that and plus, hey, other times he was finding mismatches as well. Like mm -hmm. I earlier with that play with David Reese. Amari Bernie was out too, by the way, and he's a guy that they counted on to play either linebacker or that nickel safety position and, and be a really stout cover guy. And so they were without those three top guys. And to have a performance like that where they do turn things around eventually in the second half, that's, that's big. And, and that's something that you could really build off of. So when we look ahead and we say to ourselves, okay, like what type of team is Florida? You look and you say, okay, this is a pretty resilient group where they could clamp down and make necessary adjustments, understand what's going wrong, and then fix it. That's a big deal to me. Yeah, I mean, we saw it time and time again last year, uh, and, and it ended up, you know, they something clicked later on in the season, and they, you know, they started you know, putting some points on the board. So hopefully – uh, hopefully Tennessee coming into town is just what the doctor ordered here for, for this Gator team, but uh, we'll see how they respond here. And uh, also, uh, we'll shout out to David Reese and his 16 tackles. Uh, I know he gets beaten past coverage and, you know, going into this season, it's something we've pointed out and it, it's going to be a problem when he's on the field. But as we said, with injuries, you know, mounting up a little bit, especially with Mario Bernie not being out there and, and Ventro Miller also getting dinged up late. 
David Reese had to be out there. And sometimes there were some mismatches out there in pass coverage, uh, but it only happened a couple of times. And he needed to be out there because of the injuries and still helped control the Kentucky run game from getting big yardage plays and holding Cavassier Smoke to 81 yards on 16 carries for your 5.1 yard average when he was averaging almost double that coming into the coming into this game. So a lot of that was an accomplishment led by David Reese. Yeah, what a difference a year makes, right? I mean, without David Reese, they, they look like a team that was lost a little bit defensively in those situations that you mentioned, particularly those runs. And so he he cleaned up a lot of a lot of I don't want to say mistakes, but he he was there um, on that second level making making stops and helping out being that next guy who makes makes sure that that guy goes down after the initial hit. And that was David Reese on Saturday night. I thought he did a pretty good job and, and he did his job. And you can say the same thing about really Jonathan Grenard as well. When we talk about comparing last year, to this year, a little bit, if you recall, uh, Ja'Kai Blight had some issues with sort of uh, going beyond the quarterback on rushes. We didn't really see that too much from Jonathan Grenard. In fact, he had that, that big sack or two, um, early on that really mm-hmm. set the tone. I thought that he was going to be a force for this game. And he kind of kept that going a little bit too in the second half. I think he was there on that critical third and third and two play before the field goal where he gets there first in the backfield. And then there was a Marco Wilson and about three other guys who were there ready to make that stop, uh, including Jeremiah Moon off the top of my head. So we, we saw a lot of improvements and I think it's a, it's also a testament to the, to the leadership group because David Reese is no longer by himself. He has Jonathan Grenard there with him. And yeah, Jonathan Grenard is only in his first year, but that guy commands respect. Uh, I think he is looked at as a big time leader for this defense and not only for the defense, but the entire team for that matter. And his his words are, are, are listened to. And so you combine him with a guy like David Reese. Yeah. I think that's a sort of an under the radar reason why they were able to make these adjustments was because they have that veteran presence that they didn't have necessarily last year, particularly in this game. All right. I asked for uh, our listeners to uh, send in their reactions here uh, for the game. So we'll get into a few of those uh, before we end up here. And uh, good friend, Sean Hankins uh, responds with a short passing game with Trask. We'll have to supplement the run game this year. He looked poised and was making quick decisions out there. Very confident. He can get the job done this year. Great win. So, well, I think that's kind of does speak to a little what we were talking about earlier, and uh, and you know, the, the takeaway here: very confident he can get the job done this year. And of course, I think it, I think we're going to see this from a lot of fans. Is I think they are okay with Kyle Trask in replacement for Felipe Franks, and it's going to be dependent on the offensive line and something we didn't or and the run game itself to really kind of see how far this team is going to go. And I know that was kind of the the disclaimer going into the season, I just don't think we quite saw the offensive line and run game be this bad. What did we say about Felipe Franks, though, and Dan Mullen heading into the season? We said Dan Mullen is going to know exactly now Mm. what Felipe Franks is capable of, what he's good at, what his weaknesses are, and he's going to game plan around that, sort of make up for the weaknesses and really highlight what he's good at, those short passes, getting the ball out, similar to – what what the listener said in that in that sort of observation uh, that was made there, and it's the same deal with Kyle Trask. Even though Kyle Trask has not been the starter, 
he's been practicing now since Dan Mullen has got here. So uh, the staff knows what Kyle Trask is capable of, whether it's been in game or not. He's practiced every day with this group and he's ran this offense in practice. So they have an idea of what he's good at. They know, they know how to highlight his game. And I have a lot of respect for what they do. And I give them the benefit of the doubt when dealing with these situations to get the best out of Kyle Trask. And I think that's hitting the nail on the head with the short passes sort of making up for the running game in a way. Yeah. Cause the, uh, he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have the rocket arm Felipe Franks has. Uh, and, and we know that, but I don't think he has to have that of course, uh, for, for this offense uh, to work and, and be at his best. And I mean, I'm not trying to compare Kyle Trask to Alex Smith or anything, but Alex Smith doesn't have a rocket arm either. He's just able to, to place the ball where, where it needed to be placed, and uh, you you live on uh, with with accuracy more so than uh, hitting fields hitting plays down the field. And that's like that. the big arm wasn't that big of a part of the offense with Felipe Franks. Yeah, I mean, like it was sort of like a luxury that they never really utilized consistently for for whatever for a couple of reasons. Um, but yeah, it wasn't exactly a, a staple like the, the deep pass on Felipe Franks. Right. Uh, Tyrone Shields says uh, offensive line can't run block. Running backs have no holes, thus look bad. Quick pass game works. Get Hammond, uh, Van Jefferson, and Grimes more touches. Front seven is okay. Davis and Brad Stewart playmakers to the safety, but worried about tackling and physicality at cornerback, especially Marco Wilson. So I did kind of brush by Marco Wilson, Will, a little earlier, but uh, of course he, with C.J. Henderson being out, was going to be the cornerback to be counted on. And, uh, you know, it was – he wasn't out of position, but when he's there, when he has the chance to make a play, not necessarily making the play, uh, not defending the ball, not necessarily maybe creating a turnover uh, either when, when they're there. He, he's there in the spot, but he's just not making the play when, when there is a chance for a play to be made. Yeah, that was also a rough matchup for him. He was giving yeah. up five inches and about 50 pounds. So yeah, that, that, uh, was, that was one reason I, I pointed that out in the preview as much as I could because yeah. I, I, I saw it coming. Yeah, it was it was tough. That doesn't excuse every play because every yeah. play isn't necessarily matched up against that guy. But um, also, I, I mean, I, I still kind of respect what Donovan Steiner and uh, what Taylor bring to the defense at times because they're, they're pretty good communicators. And in the back end, we, we noticed on that first drive, they had a little bit of communication issues. If you go back and you watch, there's guys pointing guys out, trying to help out, but – some points I think there's a little bit of a breakdown on some of those passes where maybe if there's better communication, maybe there, if there's more experience, uh, that doesn't happen. So I think you kind of take the good with the bad with a couple with a couple of those rotations, and that's probably a big reason why those rotations exist within the safety group and secondary. Yeah, that's one thing I've always said about, about Steiner and Taylor too, especially Steiner. I mean, I I know uh, the the flack he gets out there, but rarely do big plays happen behind him. Now he he may he may have trouble breaking down a play or breaking down a running back or a receiver making plays in front of him, but not many plays are ha- not many big plays are happening behind him. So uh, I think that's something uh, like you said to, to kind of pinpoint there. Uh, kind of just along the same lines here from two guys. Uh, ATX Gator says uh, relief, but also lowered expectations for this year until the offensive line shows they can play better, especially with Trask slash Jones, it's hard to know what to expect. And then Alexander Alza says, dominant wins are expected from elite teams. The skater squad is doing just enough to get Ws. Doesn't inspire much confidence in the fan base, but I still think coming away with wins has to has to be a great character builder for the players wishing a speedy 
recovery. Well, I think what most people are, are looking at now, we're through three games. You kind of know what your team has now. Um, the, the quarterback position does change a little bit, but we know the, the issues on offensive line. We've, you've played two power five teams so far, and on defense you've let two you know, pretty much inexperienced quarterbacks play better than expected uh, against you in, in those two games. So, you know, we'll kind of see what this team is, but through three games, uh, the, the kind of, there is a thought that uh, the expectations uh, aren't living or the Gators aren't living up to the uh, preseason expectations so far. That's certainly fair, but it kind of depends what your expectations were. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I looked at Florida and, and I got the question a lot when I when I did like national shows or uh, spoke to spoke to other media about, OK, d- d- does Florida belong in the top 10? And it's like, well, it's a kind of a complicated answer because, yes, they do, because the preseason rankings are largely made of what happened last year, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It kind of gets a carryover effect as long as you don't lose like your whole team or or experience coaching change or catastrophic injuries during the preseason. And so, yeah, they, they deserve to be in the top 10 just because of you look at how teams get there. But do I think that they were going to stay in the top 10 the whole season? I don't know about that because their their flaws are, are pretty obvious and it's going to come up against better quality opponents. So it's tough. It, it's kind of you got to say to yourself, what were the expectations if you kind of expected Florida to go what all 11 wins and, and be better than what they were last year or or get that extra win in the regular season then yeah i can see where you're coming from but i didn't necessarily anticipate that this year so from my vantage point florida is kind of what we figured they would be uh, a team with an offensive line that's going to go through some growing pains a team that's a little bit susceptible when it comes to depth particularly in the secondary and yeah, a team that has a pretty tough schedule too, for, for that matter. Yeah, we mentioned this was a team that was going to have to stay healthy, and uh, right now, uh, getting pretty beat up uh, in, in some spots. So we'll see uh, who all is available uh, coming up for Tennessee, and see if they can get some guys healthy. You know, especially before the uh, Auburn game comes around in just a few weeks. Uh, last two thoughts here. I'll kind of combine these because some, some thoughts on Dan Mullen. Lord Heller says uh, tricky because Mullen is excellent in-game coach with just about. Uh, any other coach, we are one and two going into the Tennessee game, but we need to recruit. The fact that no one can replace Gene Lance is scary. No other options than maybe true freshman Tarquin. Ouch. Uh, what's the deal with Zuniga? He was badly missed. Uh, we kind of hit on Zuniga. was, I think, injured on the first play uh, of the game, was missed to that. Um, and, uh, well, you know, recruiting is kind of brought up uh, a good bit here. Um, they've gotten, you know, they've recruited pretty well numbers wise for offensive line the, the last two cycles it's really you know they lost a lot last year and you know Jim McElwain didn't necessarily re- recruit the offensive line good enough to where you could just replace easily with what you lost last year there was a reason there was what uh, was it 14 offensive linemen uh, or no wait 11 offensive linemen the last two classes I believe the reason was because there weren't there, there wasn't numbers there Mullen had to fill in uh with numbers had to fill in with bodies and the recruiting the, the recruiting there um you know you've I think you've raised the talent level a, a good bit yes you lost Martez Ivy uh the only five five-star offensive lineman you had but overall with the 11 and 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 the quality of those 11 it's going to take time you stole the the words right out of my mouth. It's going to take time. 
we know for sure that Dan Mullen is recruiting at a higher level level than Jim McElwain. And all you have to do is look at the blue chippers and the percentages. And it's pretty obvious that, yeah, Dan Mullen's doing a better job in that department. But you don't just sign four stars and necessarily or five stars, even for that matter, and automatically insert them into the lineup either. Um, so it's like first they didn't, they didn't necessarily get those high quality kids that that can do that. But also chances were slim of that happening anyway, because how many you know young offensive linemen we see do that and succeed and and fare, fare better than the alternative. I don't know off the top of my head, but I would imagine it's not that great. And it's like, okay, you also should have had probably Noah Banks. Unfortunately, he had the medical issue. And so that's another guy that would have been an upperclassman or experienced guy that you were counting on heading, heading into at least the bowl game last year uh, before before his medical issues um, gave him some unfortunate trouble. So that that's it, it's kind of the thing that you can't really point to and necessarily blame uh, this staff for because it was a, it was an issue that they inherited. That said, yes, they have to recruit better. And Dan Mullen said that as much after the game because that's where your depth comes in, where mm-hmm. there shouldn't be a drop off that that's really considerable when you're the Florida Gators. Um, it, it should be uh, almost a one A, one B, maybe even one C type of deal where you're rolling guys through and you're not sort of worried about okay, are, are we going to get? Um, picked on here in the defense because this guy's on the field for two or three plays. Um, that shouldn't be a worry for Florida, for the Florida Gators. And I think in a couple of years, it's not going to be as much of a worry. All right. And Christopher Yanes, uh, last year, same situation. We, we lose that game this year with a backup. We found a way to score 19 unanswered and win. And kind of extending the point here, Will, that you just ended with, Dan Mulling is building this program back up. I can. Uh, I think this team can rally with Trask and some and some Emory and win any of the games left on the schedule. So, all right, yep, some good thoughts. Thanks, listeners out there uh, for sending uh, your reactions. Always appreciated uh, when we get to interact with uh, you here uh, on the uh, podcast. The uh, will let's take a quick look around uh, the SEC here. Uh, Georgia fifty-five nothing winners uh, over Arkansas State. Nothing big there. Mississippi State, uh, probably missing Dan Mullen just a little bit. 31-24 losers uh, to Kansas State. Tennessee, Florida's next opponent, gets their first win of the season, 45 to nothing. Well, I don't know how confident they're going to feel after beating the Mocs and coming here uh, <laughs> to the swamp coming up. It's a, it's a different story, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, got, you look at the first two weeks and you see a, a team that was just making some foolish mistakes, some physical mistakes, but mental mistakes as well against teams that they probably should have beat, right? So right. come on. Um, but, you know, the flip side of that is that you look at the team statistically and they weren't as bad as I thought that they would mm-hmm. be. So that's kind of interesting to me. And it's yeah. not just that the statistics were um, a factor of just the uh, Saturday's game either. Uh, if you look at their averages and the yards per carry, yards per attempt, it's not as bad as I thought it was. And so I feel like, yeah, there's probably less talent and – the development isn't what it is at Florida right now, but still, uh, it, it, you're not exactly playing um, Towson here. I mean, this is an SEC yeah. team that's they're they're, they're going to look to redeem themselves in some in some form or fashion. 
There you go. So I was going to say, there's going there's to be some desperation there from the Tennessee side yeah. uh, of things and probably smelling some blood in the water. Of course, you know, anytime you say you're going up against a backup quarterback, uh, uh, of course, there tends to be uh, more of a belief that you can win the game. Uh, so I think, you know, they'll, they'll see that uh, and they'll be desperate. So, uh, and of course, until Florida proves they can play good you know at, at times they're just not they're, they're coming out with victories but they're not playing good uh until they can prove they can play good you know you're probably still looking at a pretty close game yeah no doubt and, and um you know what i'd like to see florida do especially um in covering them and, and trying to see where they can sort of improve is you know can they can they get that pressure back going uh mm-hmm. throughout the whole game uh can they can they not have to be in a situation where they have to make those second half adjustments of course and can they just uh, put away a team that they that they should beat handedly? Uh, because I I think that they sh- I think the spread um, is about 14 points right now for for that Tennessee game, and it's it's a game where they should be able to do that, if not a little bit more. Absolutely. Uh, finish up here. Uh, Alabama defeats South Carolina 47-23. Uh, Ryan Hileski didn't look too bad there against uh, – threw for 324 yards uh, in his uh, first SEC start and, of course, against number two Alabama. So uh, pretty good showing for him uh, in his first big game there, two of those for 444 yards. So Alabama still rolling there and wins that 47-23. Ole Miss beats Southeast Louisiana 40-29. to Arkansas beats Colorado State 55-34. Auburn 55-16 over Kent State. Uh, and, of course, Florida 29-21 victory over Kentucky and Texas A&M 62-3 over Lamar. LSU 65-14 North, over Northwestern State. And Missouri uh, shuts out Southeast Missouri State 50 uh, to nothing. And then, of course, the ACC, Will Florida State finds a way. Uh, Virginia hangs on. Uh, Florida State can't get the last playoff uh, necessarily. Uh, doesn't doesn't make anything happen, and uh, FSU is one and two. Yeah, did you see that cruel tweet about uh, Willie? Uh, like how you spelled Willie with a one W and two L's? That was not nice. <laughs> that was that was kind of mean. I did not see that. Uh, yeah, that was kind of funny though too. Oof. It was definitely worth worth. Uh, Worth remembering, at least. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was. I mean, uh, Virginia, you know, a ranked team, uh, but Florida State did play them tough, thirty-one twenty-four uh, there. So uh, you know, Florida State to, for all the um, you know played Boise State the tough till they got just kind of dismantled in, in the fourth quarter, and you know, almost you know had, had a chance to at least tie this game versus Virginia late. So uh, you know, FSU uh, not necessarily uh, not necessarily. Playing embarrassingly, embarrassing football, but still finding ways uh, to lose games there. Uh, so you know, uh, we'll see how, how they continue, or see if they can bounce back from that. It's got to be a tough loss there, uh, there. And uh, Miami blew out Bethune Cookman, so not much there uh, to look at. So, Will, man, anything else uh, before we sign off here for this episode? No, man. Um, you are appearing in my exit survey. It's a, kind of like a weekly look back on the on the game that just happened in sort of a fun way where we tackle some fun and interesting questions and uh, analyze what happened and why, plus look ahead to the next game. And so I thank you for joining me uh, with that piece. It's, it should be live right now, actually, as listeners are, are hearing me. So that's really cool on The Athletic. Obviously, we also have a host of national and very talented writers like Andy Staples, uh, Stu Mandel, Nicole Auerbach. Uh, Matt Brown does an exceptional job as an AP 
voter breaking down his ballot in a very nuanced and balanced way. So totally recommend uh, checking out what we got cooking over there on theathletic.com if you have a second and if you don't mind uh, or enjoy reading about college football. Yeah, absolutely. Got some good uh, Tennessee coverage there too uh, at the Athletic. Yeah, David Upton does an awesome job. He's probably one of our best, if not, in my opinion, our the best uh, beat writer that we have. Yeah, so go there if you have uh, – go get a subscription to The Athletic. And if you also already have one, you can check out a lot of Tennessee covers there uh, this week too to get ready for uh, – I guess some some can some, some fans consider Tennessee still a rival. Some fans don't, but uh, I do. So hey, if you want to oh, check I- out – you too. I'm not a fan of, I'm not a Florida fan, but when I look at, when I think about Florida, I, I think about Tennessee as a rival for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but heck, the way it's coming, you know, Florida, Kentucky, uh, the way these games have been going lately. It, uh, that, that is one thing, Will, you know, coming after this game, this, man, this, it's, it's intense right now, Florida, Kentucky. And it should be. And it's also really fun. I mean, I'm from for me, at least, just as a college football fan. But uh, those, these games have been down to the wire. It's two teams right now. I know Florida fans probably don't want to hear this, but it, it, they're kind of evenly matched when you look at it a little bit because Kentucky's been able to recruit higher higher than what people think that they are, and they're getting talent, and they're developing at a decent level or a pretty good level, actually. And so I think Florida eventually pulls away there. Um, and, and right now they already are. I mean, they're number nine, and Kentucky's unranked. I get that, um, even though I'm in the department of – people who are saying that Kentucky should be ranked. Uh, but I, I suspect Florida will continue to pull away. But for right now, it's been fun, at least the last couple of years. Yeah, been been some really good games lately. Uh, speaking of rankings here, before we wrap up, uh, Florida comes in eighth in the coaches' poll, ninth in the AP poll. So Florida does stay in the top ten uh, in both of the polls. That don't really matter a whole lot right now. So <laughs> we'll figure, we'll see, we'll see where it ends up. So uh, that's Will, Will Salmon from The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter, at Will Salmon, right, Will? Right. Yes. At Will Salmon, W-I-L-L-S-A-M-M on Twitter. And uh, thanks again for having me, David. Always appreciate it, man. Always good chatting with you. Absolutely. Thank you again. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.